Hello, and welcome back to our podcast series, Research Matters, produced by UNICEF's Office of Research, Innocenti in Florence, Italy. My name is Dale Rutstein, and I'm the Chief of Communication with UNICEF Innocenti. And today we're talking about our recent report, Supporting Families and Children Beyond COVID-19, Social Protection in Southern and Eastern Europe and Central Asia. I'm here with two members of our research team, Dominic Richardson and Kaku Ata Damwa. This report is the first in a series looking at social protection for families and children in the aftermath of COVID-19 in various regions of the world. The first region to be looked at in this series being Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Central Asian states. Some of the questions we'll be discussing with our researchers today, how is COVID-19 affecting children in the region? What can we learn from previous crises? Are children more vulnerable after a major crisis? So welcome, Dominic and Kaku. So could you briefly introduce yourselves, what you do more broadly at UNICEF Innocenti and also what your roles were in this report? Kaku, can you start? Hello, good morning. Uh, thanks for having us. I am Kaku Ata Damwa, a consultant with the social and economic policy team here at Innocenti. I mainly work on a cash transfer uh, program uh, in the broader spectrum of social protection uh, research. On those uh, re reports, uh, myself, uh, including Alessandro Carraro, we were mainly responsible for the quantitative analysis, together with Victor Shebatai, who was also part uh, of the team, led by uh, Dominic. Thank you. Thanks, Kaku. Okay, Dom, tell us something about yourself. My name is Dominic Richardson, and I'm the Chief of Social and Economic Policy here at uh, the UNICEF Office of Research in Ocenti. I was the lead author on this very exciting study uh, with the help of Kaku and the colleagues he mentioned. Uh, very excited to talk about it today. Okay, great. Thank you both for joining me on the Research Matters podcast series. To start us off, I'd like to first discuss one of the key findings from this report. Evidence from previous crises shows that social protection responses have contributed to protecting children from the worst effects, and that austerity has resulted in the closure of key child services, reduction in parental caregiving, homelessness, crime, mental health problems, and even more concerning, further infectious disease outbreaks. So let's expand on why spending to protect families is so important after a crisis. Thanks, Dale. Um, some of the, the findings you mentioned come from a study that was done by our colleague Niasha Tirivai and, and, and other members of the team here at Innocenti. Any response to a crisis in order to protect children, either a health or an economic crisis, uh, since uh, the year 2000. And uh, we organised the evidence uh, to look at how responses to the crisis could protect children from poorer health outcomes, poorer education outcomes, worsening and uh, effects on their safety. Uh, and we also looked at the, the interventions, whether they be economic stimulus or corporate welfare or cutbacks, uh, contractions in social expenditure, which people refer to as austerity, social insurance policies. So those are the policies that you contribute to if you want to get them. Uh, and social assistance policies, which are generally tax-based and uh, you can receive them if, if you meet a, a, an eligibility criteria, like you're poor uh, or you, you live in a sole parent household or, or, or something like that. Um, the evidence very clearly showed 
that for outcomes for children, austerity, cutting back, only led to bad news. As you, you mentioned, some of the things that, that, that could go wrong, and particularly worrying in the case of COVID, so when we looked at health crises, that austerity was linked to further outbreak of infectious disease. Between social insurance and social protection, uh, social assistance, sorry, um, it was a social assistance that, that tended to have the more positive uh, effects and covered more outcomes. So um, payments to families uh, through, through tax fees waivers, uh, food supports and so on could uh, not only influence better outcomes, but across more outcomes. So social insurance tended to be a bit more focused on what it was designed to do. Like health insurance did improve health outcomes but didn't sort of spill over elsewhere. Now, it stands to reason, therefore, uh, that if a crisis hits um, and you don't implement social insurance, you don't implement social assistance, children are at a greater risk of, of having poorer outcomes. Um, and if you don't do it, and then because you've spent money on, on stimulus policies, which do help incomes, but don't help all children's outcomes, uh, there's a double whammy. So no protection and then actually worsening outcomes. So that's why it's important. Great. Um, just real quickly, can you, um, you mentioned several terms and you use them differently. Social protection, social assistance, social insurance. Are these the same or are they different? Can you just really quickly uh, explain the difference? Yeah, so social protection covers both types of, of social payments. Right. Uh, social insurance, is, is, is like insurance, but it, it's managed uh, by public bodies. So you pay in uh, to- Like public uh, health insurance. Yeah, public health insurance, unemployment insurance, and so on. Social right. assistance uh, is, is, is social support you can receive without contributions. Right. Um, so you may be paying taxes, but you don't pay in specifically to receive a benefit in health or specifically to receive a benefit, uh, let's say, uh, um, I don't know, for, for, for childbirth, for instance. Right. So um, uh, one is fundamentally an insurance and one is fundamentally assistance. Great. Good. That's, that, that helps. Thanks. Um, so, I mean, in this report and other reports, um, we've argued and you, you've argued in your research that spending which doesn't target children is also a problem. It's not just, uh, you know, spend instead of cut it's spend uh you know spending should be targeting children um let's let's let, before we get into that let me just let me just ask the question that some will be asking shouldn't governments prioritize supporting the wages of workers in a crisis isn't that in itself a very powerful way of 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 spending well it's not uh uh, a binary situation it's not a binary choice of whether government should uh, support workers and not support families uh, and children uh, right. it's, it's it's a more matter of how how you respond to a crisis looking at also the short term and the long term future of the country so to start with, you know, families and uh, are the foundation of a country, and also children are the future. Looking at uh, the long term, so crises are not new. Uh, recessions are not new. Uh, we have experienced them before, with the last one being uh, some almost ten years ago. Uh, 
the point of the matter is uh, when you're responding to a crisis, uh, economic crisis that the COVID will bring, and you leave out families, you leave out children, this will help also the long-term prospects of the country. So supporting families, supporting children, ensures that you keep the country on its long-term trajectory. It also helps uh, the country to grow in, in a sense of being resilient to future crises, to future shocks that the country may, may experience uh, going forward. So losing that window of opportunity to continue supporting children or investing in children becomes a counterproductive outcome for the country itself. So that is why it is necessary to insist that in our response to a crisis, in our response to shocks, uh, to pandemics, etc., we shouldn't just look at just the short-term uh, responses of uh, giving wages to workers, but we also look at the long-term aspect of it uh, and including children in our response uh, package. That is more of how I would put it. So it's not a binary, but it's rather how you complexively respond to the crisis. Are we saying then maybe that, um, you know, in supporting wages or companies to stay afloat so they can employ more people, that um, that kind of spending doesn't necessarily trickle down to children? Maybe that's the wrong term to use, but you know what I mean. Maybe I can, I can, I can jump in here. It's not necessarily that it doesn't trickle down. It's perhaps, and, and, and I totally agree with everything Kaku said, it's really about getting the balance right, isn't it? And it's not necessarily that it doesn't trickle down, but the more hands it passes through on the way to the child, right. uh, the, more, the more you're likely to lose. There are transaction costs involved in all of these, in all of these actions. Um, and uh, yeah, so in that sense, children will benefit from the, the uh, economic stimulus. Um, uh, they will to a degree. The question is, we don't have a great deal of control o over what degree um, they will benefit. Uh, people will accept this as if they understand the literature on how to ensure that child benefits are actually spent on the child. Uh, imagine um, thinking about how uh, economic stimulus will eventually be in invested on a child. There's all sorts of things that need to be in place, and it's, it's hard to, uh, to map. Um, and of course, of course, children don't really have much say over how household expenditures are done. Quite right. Uh, uh, in many in many cases, they 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 don't. Yeah. Um, okay, that's really good. That's very clear. Maybe playing the devil's advocate a little bit with large sections of the economy shutting down due to the, due to the pandemic. Where does the money for spending like this come from? And and typically, how much money for this kind of spending is needed? We're, we're actually busy asking that question in a piece of research. We're collaborating with colleagues from the World Bank and the OECD to, to ask the question, where, where does the money for this fiscal stimulus come from? That's including the welfare interventions and the economic interventions. Now, governments um, can, can find the money from various places. They can, uh, they can borrow off the future increased public debt. Uh, they, can, they can work with bonds. Uh, they can work. They can borrow from from um, the banks. Um, they can they can sell off um, public uh, capital that they have, um, privatizing things. Uh, um, and in some cases, they may 
take loans from the IMF or, or, or elsewhere. This is, this is if they're going to do this without sort of the standard sort of ta tax and spend approach. Though there are some countries uh, that, that did have money uh, in, in the bank from a tax system or insurance systems and, and, and could also spend down on that when they expanded either, either to more people or, or, or made additional payments. But it's a very, very good question, Dale, because over the years, at least in the last decade, the, the, the discussion in, in, um, around social policies for family and children have always been around affordability. They've been around affordability. Some of the cuts we saw following the global financial crisis were not made good in the long term uh, because we questioned the affordability of this type of welfare. Um, and then when the crisis hits, uh, in the first two months of the crisis, um, accounting up the, the, the money that can be, the, the reports that can be found in, in the IMF and World Bank and elsewhere, it seems that uh, at least high-income countries found over $8 trillion. Uh, US well, yeah, so, so they certainly found some money, didn't they? They certainly found some, they certainly found some money. Uh, the, the, the concern, and certainly based on what we've said before, the concern then is how do you pay it back? And if that means cutting key services uh, for children, uh, cutting back on cash uh, um, supports for families with children, this becomes a this becomes a big concern. How does the money that is that we're talking about for children compare with, say, maybe money that goes to other sectors of the uh, to economic support or so on? I mean, I would imagine that. The, you know, the, the, the actual money that is needed to, to really help families and children get through a crisis is probably small. Uh, relative, relatively, um, certainly based upon recent experience. So some back of the envelope calculations for you. I, I looked at these figures in high-income high countries a few months ago towards the end of, end of July. Um, the, if you take what was approximately $10 trillion by the time I was looking at the, at the figures, uh, um, uh, it's for every $6 spent through on fiscal stimulus, we were finding around $1 going to welfare and in, in, in social welfare interventions. And from that $1, about 20% was, was going to policies that were explicitly defined as family or child policies. Mm. Um, so that's how, it, how, it, how, how that's how, what the action tells us about about the balance. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's not it's not just it's it, we also need to look at uh, um, the sustainability of these interventions. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of these policies for families and children were 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 put in place for two, you know one two or three months, not six months, not a year even though we were talking about the crisis heading in to next year. Um, so there's, um, I think this is why we're asking for a rebalance because it doesn't seem that uh, the interventions are balanced. And even if the payments are high in the, it's the, the time, uh, the overall length of the benefit delivery, which is a big concern because it doesn't seem to be adequate for the length of the crisis. Oh, and one, one last thing, just to put in co context, the average country uh, in high-income countries spends about 2.2% of GDP on, on families. 
uh, the the money spent in the first few months of this crisis uh, accounted um, for approximately uh, um, 200% of the GDP in, in Germany. What's being spent now could pay for generations. Right. Um, if, if wisely spent. So um, it still remains a bit of a puzzle, Dale, but uh, it's well, well worth pursuing. I encourage our yeah, listeners yeah. To, to, to pursue that question with a bit, a bit more rigor than I have. Okay, so this, this report is about Southern and Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Let's turn now to that. Now, Kaku, you were one of the lead researchers and analysts on this report. Um, why did we choose, and this is a series of, this is going to be a series of reports. Um, why did we start with this region and what stands out in what we found in this analysis? Well, thanks. There, uh, you are right. This is uh, a series uh, of reports that will be coming out in a couple of in the months ahead. We started with uh, Sami from uh, ACAR for a good number of reasons. Now, first, if we remember back in March, when uh, COVID-19 started to spread uh, outside China, one of the very first hit countries was uh, was Italy where we are before spreading to Spain, uh, to France, to, to the UK, uh, to Russia, and et cetera. And a good number of these countries are well integrated from uh, both trade point of view, economic and financial point of view, with uh, uh, countries in larger uh, Europe. So the first question that naturally arises is, uh, what is the uh, spillover effect on children in this region? Then also, secondly, uh, this, this region has been a huge uh, progress of uh, child welfare indicators as, as stated in the Sustainable Development Goals. Now, even though there has been some, some progress compared to other countries, these are still, many of these countries are still low and middle income uh, middle-income countries. So mm -hmm. then the, the natural question, what we wanted to, to find out is what will happen to this progress? What will be the sustainability of this progress in child outcomes that has been uh, achieved uh, over the years? Given that we are in an unprecedented crisis, the crisis that we have not seen before, uh, the 2008 crisis did not bring the whole logistics uh, issue that we're experiencing now. So first, naturally, we know we've made progress in a region, we wanted to find out what uh, would be the impact of this crisis on, uh, on children. Are we going to erode all the progress made uh, or not? So that is what um, we, we first started from, from, from this region. Then from here, we'll be looking at other regions. So it serves as, as the starting point, but it's not the end. Yeah. Right. Um, just following up a little bit, was there, did you see many differences between um, Southeast Europe and Central Asia? These are very different regions. Not, not, not necessarily. There are some few indicators where there are, there are of course, some, some, some differences, but on, on the whole, not, not many differences uh, uh, we, can, we can see. Now, just to, to recall some some experiences or some some of the data what, what we saw there are some of the countries we had so adolescents after school have been uh, decreasing in some but then it has also been increasing uh, in, in in some countries so for example in in, in Turkey which uh, 
We don't expect those from between 2012 and 2016, adolescent after school actually increased in, uh, in, 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 in Turkey compared to, to other countries. So there are some little differences in terms of uh, some indicators, but on the whole, in, in the average, uh, there are some similarities as well. Was there, um, what did we, what did you find in this region in terms of um, ability to invest in social protection? Government ability to invest in social protection, I mean, runs uh, uh, quite high in this, in this region. Now, if you look at in the report, we compiled a list of the interventions already that the government have, the various governments have done. Now, most of these actions are looking more directly to the fiscal stimulus, uh, stimulus to companies, uh, et cetera, but very few looking directly to, to children and families in particular. So this is where this action is, is, is missing in this, in this various country. And, and this links back to what we were discussing before, whether we should support uh, wages of workers and leave families out. It's, it's more of finding, of finding the balance. So what we find and what was surprising that everyone is supporting, uh, there's a fiscal policies everywhere, the fiscal support, the stimulus support, but families comes, do not, come up very often in, uh, in this region. Thank you. So can we talk a little bit about, um, okay, if, 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 if policies trend towards austerity, um, what happens to, typically what happens to health systems and other important systems for children? Can we talk a bit about that? If I could just take the, the conversation a bit before the discussion of, of, of austerity. The uniqueness of the COVID crisis has already begun to affect uh, the delivery of health services for children. And um, when, whenever there is a, a residential lockdown and people are expected to stay in their home, um, or when um, the health system, particularly the secondary healthcare system, is having to pick up uh, uh, crisis cases related to COVID, this naturally restricts the ability of families with children to seek health interventions, as well as crowding out uh, um, access to health services and resources. Um, and initially you would expect uh, secondary health care costs to increase, uh, but very little of that actually getting, getting through to children. Um, we have uh, uh, observed examples of austerity leading to, to cutbacks in services uh, for children, both directly um, uh, related to, to health, but oh, excuse me, but also the types of services where children would otherwise get access uh, to or, or access to health supports or be identified as in need of health interventions, like childcare settings. Um, it, it, um, and also, I suppose if uh, um, countries are becoming more aware um, in this region and in, in the higher income regions as well of the role of health supports in school, mental health supports in school, um, these things which these things can also be put at put at risk uh, uh, as cut, cuts are made and and um, efforts within sectors, health or education. 
a move towards the consolidation of of their services in order to 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 make uh, cuts with the least amount of damage possible. Right. And and what do we see in this re in these regions uh, that were covered in this report? Um, can we? I mean, is it too early to say? kind of what the policy direction is, is looking like? Uh, yeah, I, I should really say that a lot of what we've put into this report is a reflection on past experiences, uh, responses to previous crises and understanding how um, uh, trends in, in economic, uh, macroeconomic trends and social trends have previously influenced children's outcomes. Sure. Um, and so what we expect to happen in, into the future is a further crisis. And so we're using that to indicate. So what did you, what, what, so you looked back to, to sort of as a guide, which is a very smart thing to do, always smart thing to do. Looking back in this region, what are we saying with this report about what to be careful of as we go forward? If yeah. Um, okay. So there's a, there's a few things. The first thing I would would say is that the global financial crisis showed that countries in the region had contractions in economic growth, uh, which were on average around uh, 10%. Hmm. Now that's big. It's bigger than we saw in high income countries and it's bigger than we saw in West Africa at the time, um, some low income countries. Uh, and that, that contraction in many cases was V-shaped, mm -hmm. but that's when you look at growth rates. What it doesn't tell you is that the actual effect on GDP per capita and wealth overall, that, that one V-shaped contraction had long-term effects on wealth. Now, um, those dips that we see in GDP per capita, we've analyzed to, uh, to looking at what uh, GDP, changes in GDP per capita in, in let's say in 2005, well, actually that's a bit earlier than we started, in 2008 um, did uh, for children's outcomes in 2009. And the, the, these, it tells us that, um, uh, that the contractions we expect to see that will then in turn, in, in turn affect uh, average wealth uh, are likely to increase poverty experienced in the region, are likely to increase youth inactivity and youth unemployment are likely to increase risks of infant mortality and under five mortality. Um, it's, not a, it's not a pretty picture, Dale, but it shouldn't come as too much of a su surprise. What, I suppose what, what, what's, more, what's more concerning or, is that oh, some of these associations show that in percentage terms, contractions uh, lead to higher percentage changes in some of these outcomes, which to try and make it simply put a 1% change in, in GDP per capita fall, uh, it will, will produce a 1.1% increase in poverty or so, something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if it's not one-to-one -one and it's actually above one, then what you're seeing is, is inequality in economic decline affecting the poor more. Um, we, the region as well showed us, in, um, some of our analysis of, of the statistics in the report showed 
uh, that some of the richer countries are also countries with higher poverty rates too. So we're seeing something which is rather concerning, which is um, economic growth being unequal. Countries mm-hmm. are growing unequal. It's affecting poverty and countries are contracting unequally. And, and, and income inequality seems to be a runaway train. Regardless of which way your economy is going, things just get worse for the poor. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a big concern. And, and it sort of points towards, well, how do we understand what can we do uh, to manage uh, the growth of inequality? Because it's in inequality uh, that you get marginalization, you get inefficiency in social and economic development, and you're weakened to future crises. Mm-hmm. Um, can, so, you, uh, can you mention a few countries that are named in this, in the, in this region? Is there, are there any particular lessons from any particular countries just to sort of like drill down a bit deep a bit into more detail yeah um either you or kaku well kaku please do you want to go ahead and i'll jump in later thanks so related to to what we just talked about croatia is an example of a country uh that had a, a pretty severe recession around the global financial crisis and uh, their GDP per capita did not uh, recover to pre-2008 levels before this crisis hit. And there's a number of countries... They're, who are, still, they're still recovering from the Great Recession. Still recovering from the Great Recession before another crisis comes along. And it's the same for one or two of the countries that were most affected uh, by the, the devaluation of the, the ruble and... Um, the, the Russian uh, financial crisis around 2014. So there's a, there's a few countries that have that have that have um, had a struggle to recover and had additional bumps along the way. And um, yeah, they're, they're countries that uh, that are, uh, I, I think are particularly concerning mm-hmm. uh, for 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 poverty, uh, you know, increased risks, poverty risks, and etc. Um, but what, what, we're, what we're really doing in this, in this report is, is, is providing the, the countries that we're working with this, this uh, information so they can study it a bit, a bit further and understand with their, low, their national knowledge how meaningful uh, some of these, some of these uh, trend, trends are. Right. Um, let's, let's come to the end now. Um... Can, can we summarize a bit on uh, what are the most important recommendations for this region um, as a result of this, uh, this study? Yes. Uh, now, the most important I mean, recommendations we stated in the report and also in discussions with colleagues is more or less the first and message we want to amplify and we cannot amplify enough is children cannot be forgotten in the response to the crisis that the various governments are, are formulating. As we said uh, before and as we, we continue um, saying that because the risk of child mortality is there's a risk of child mortality will increase the risk, uh, a risk of uh, inequality amplifying, which uh, Dom already uh, explained. There is also a risk of uh, undernourishment uh, increasing. So looking at all those uh, risks, which we, we find ourselves in, which we find in those unprecedented 
times, it is very vital that we avoid that this risk uh, do materialize in, in reality. So first recommendation, uh, social spending, spending for children and monitoring of economic indicators must be, 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 be key in, in, a, in a response to, to the crisis. Also on uh, expenditure response to nutrition-based uh, uh, issues should not be, be undervalued. Now, and also responding, we also to look at the, the long-term, the medium and the long-term of, uh, of, 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 of the crisis and our recovery uh, process. So while uh, governments sometimes do uh, something look more of the short term, the long, the long and the medium term cannot also be, be marginalized. So again, and that leads to, to, to expenditure on children, to strengthening social protection systems. So countries which have already in place social protection systems, this can be uh, strengthened in a way that children who children and families who were previously not covered can be now, now be covered in, uh, in as, as countries uh, respond. And then also countries without social protection mechanisms as an opportunity to set up social protection uh, systems in place so that in future crises, in future shocks, uh, countries will be best placed to, to be resilient, will not be having all those uh, risks which we, we talked uh, about. So yeah, these are some of the key, key recommendations uh, to look for. Yeah, important to, to, to keep in mind resiliency because uh, we could be dealing with the, the effects of COVID uh, sort of cyclically for uh, some years to come. Exactly. As, as some experts are saying. Uh, this has been fascinating. I really, it's been a, a, a really good discussion and um, really looking forward to uh, um, this series of reports and uh, this this um, new report, which we're talking about today, supporting families and children beyond COVID-19, social protection in Southern and Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Um, we we know this is the first in a series, as we've mentioned. Um, as as a, as the last thing we talk about, I wonder if um, if you can. Uh, tell us a little about, bit about what's to come in the series. Um, uh, anything special that you're finding in, you know, that you or, or things you can share before the the next installment in the series? Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a bit, but then I hope to, when the, the other reports come up, then we get the full uh, the full juice. So for now, we give you just a yeah. bit. So there are there are other reports from other regions planned on the way coming. So probably first uh, high income countries, just previous just uh, getting to conclusion, and Western Central Africa is also on the way coming. So for example, in uh, in Western Central Africa. From what we saw from the ACAR report, we looked at uh, going into detail into some, some of the aspects. So then we, we went even backwards up to from year 2000 to 2008, looking at some key financial uh, economic crisis that happened in uh, this, uh, this period, and then trying to, to calculate what was the, the specific um, impact on, uh, on children outcomes 
in this uh, in this region. We're having some interesting uh, results. I will not give everything out today. Uh, mm -hmm. We looked. There was even two crises that happened uh, in this in this period. And one was not as famous as the the 2008 crisis, but it did have some tremendous uh, impact in, in terms of something negative for for children. So yeah, this is these are some of the key. And and what happened afterwards? Looking back to the discussion we had when the 2008 financial crisis happened there were a series of other crises that that happened uh, afterwards so which more or less maybe it's not directly linked to the 2008 uh, crisis by just some temporary phase that came uh, later on and all this if you want to say smaller crisis because they don't have the, the same media bus they did have some uh, impact on, on, on children's outcomes, on children indicators. So this is very important to, to look at what was the actual impact, what was the actual effect, uh, what happened, and what can we learn going forward? Because uh, the economic crisis for COVID may remain for, for quite uh, a long uh, time. Yeah, then I'll leave to Dom to continue for other regions that uh, are on the way as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kaku. I, I think you've been rather rather miserly with with some teaser <laughs> teaser sort of findings. So maybe I'll add a bit more. We're about to uh, um, where we're heading to 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 uh, publish a high income country study, as Kaku uh, uh, noted, um, within the next uh, um, month and a half, I would expect. Um, we've been able to look with a bit more detail at the role of social protection uh, and, and so social expenditure um, and because the, the data is a bit better. Um, one of the things that we, we do note, uh, um, and this is provisional, um, but one of the things we have seen is that uh, based upon historical trends, we expect um, the, this crisis to result in an increase in relative child poverty in the region, which could be sustained. I mean, that means it doesn't return to, to pre-crisis levels for up, up to five years. Um, and this is a this is a this of course is a is going to be a serious issue for for children's development, those who suffer most. Wow! Um, and we call we will call we will call on on governments. Um, and other stakeholders to try and mitigate the effects of this crisis on those children. Um, the, uh, we're also looking at a, a, um, a study in Latin America and the Caribbean region, which has just started, and we expect that to be out in, in February. Um, so they're, they're the four, we're looking at four regions in total, there may be more, fingers crossed. Um, this has been really interesting. I want to thank you both, Dominic Richardson and Kaku Ata Damwa, for taking the time to take us behind the scenes of the new report, Supporting Families and Children Beyond COVID-19, Social Protection in Southern and Eastern Europe and Central Asia, the first report of many um, regional studies on the impact of COVID-19 on children. Um, you can download the new report at unicef-irc.org. I'd also like to take a moment to plug our recent Innocenti report card 
uh, the 16th in the series over the last 20 years, titled Worlds of Influence, Understanding What Shapes Child Well-Being in Rich Countries. That report can also be downloaded at unicef-irc.org. And for more updates on our research on social protection, poverty, child well-being, and more, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at, at UNICEF Innocenti, one word, at UNICEF Innocenti. Um, that's all for today for Research Matters. Um, Dom and Kaku, thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank, thank you, you Dale. Our pleasure. Thank you. Great to have you and look forward to having you come back again. Um, for, for everyone listening, thank you very much and see you next time.